Yeah, I, we got a few minutes for Q&A. Yes, Kelsey. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, I think that, um, well, let's, let's take the comfort one. Um, for me, like one of the things that's helpful for you to remind me is that what I think is really life and heaven is really not. The, the way I would try and describe it is I'm usually content to live kind of a gray existence in a multicolored world. Um, there's, there's this uh, movie, Parenthood, that I love. I don't know if you've ever seen this old Steve Martin movie. I know they have a TV show about it now, right? But I love the original movie. You've got to watch it. But he, there's a place in there where the, where the grandmother is talking to Steve Martin, who's this kind of control freak, and his life is spinning out of control. And his grandmother starts telling this story about her, her husband taking her to the fair and how some people like to ride the merry-go-round, but she loves the roller coaster. So the merry-go-round, it just kind of goes around and around. Um, but the roller coaster, right? And I'm one who tries to m- pretend that I'm content with the merry-go-round. And so what I need to, to be reminded of is, Kevin, you know, it's, well, C.S. Lewis has this great thing. He says we're, we're so often, uh, you know, we're offered in the gospel a holiday at the sea, and we're trying to be content making mud pies in the backyard, right? And that's, I need people to say, you're settling. You're settling. If, if, if your life, like, and say, okay, you're not so sad today, but when was the last time you rejoiced about anything? Like you've, you, because comfort, you, you don't let yourself feel anything. Um, you need, I need to be spoken into, um, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. You can't be comfortable and do that. So I had a friend of mine once deliver me a life-giving rebuke and say, you, if you don't know how to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, you'll never be a pastor. You'll only ever be a teacher. And I had to wrestle with, do I really want to be a pastor? Or would I be content to not have to go there? But people have to remind me that that's where life is. That's, that's, that's what God wants for us. He made me to enjoy and to weep. And, and you can't just sort of cut off some emotions without cutting them all off. And so... You know, I need to have my heart touched by the passion of God's love. That it's not just knowing the right things. I need to taste these things, right? And, and Kevin, what have, you, what have you settled for, right? So somebody, for instance, approval, you know, they need to know that Jesus didn't just die to forgive them and give them a fresh start, but that he gives them his righteousness, that he lived the perfect life, and if you trust in Christ, you get credit for that perfect life. So God looks at you as you're a Christian and sees you as beautiful in his sight, not as somebody who needs to perform today and perform the next day and the next day. And the only way you're going to be set free from feeling like you need to perform is if you know that Jesus did everything required to make God smile when he thinks about you. And there's lots of verses that can talk about that. If you think about power, again, you can expose the illusion of power. You don't really have power. But then you say, that's like, you know, when Job's life was feeling out of control, right? And he says, you know, you you don't have power, at least not power that's being used for my good. And God said, "Uh, were you there when I did this and when I created this and when I set the seeds and I did this? And Job's was like, okay, uh, I'm sorry. I, I should just shut up. And God says, no, no, I'm not done. And then goes on for a chapter after chapter, right? So you can even see how God preaches the gospel say, I am the powerful one. I am the one. You don't need to take care of yourself because I'm the Lord your God, right? Who cares? So, so I, I don't know. That's just off the top of my head. 
What control? Yeah, because control is the one you really want to know about. Yeah. Well, again, you know, you ha you can look at what are you settling for, right? Control, you're settling for boredom, right? And God says, no, I made you for life. Jesus said, I came to bring life and life abundantly, right? And actually in the Greek, there's two different words. There's zoe and there's bios, right? Bios, mere human existence. But Jesus said, I came to bring zoe, life that's life, right? And that's what you're for. That's what you're made for. Are you experiencing it, right? And, and then to say, you don't need, why are you running to feel like you need to control your world? Either you don't believe God's powerful enough or you don't think he cares. And so there's a great verse um, I think it's in First Peter or Second Peter. It says, cast all your cares on him because he, he cares for you and he has a powerful hand. And I love that combination. He's a powerful hand and he cares. It's not enough to know he's just powerful or that he just cares. He has both of those. And that can undermine your feeling of a need for control to know that, that he cares and he has power. Usually people with con the control idol, they forget one of those two things. You know, and so there might be a particular one that, is difficult. Yeah, I know he's powerful. I just don't think he cares about me. And other people may be like, I know he cares about me, but I think he's he's trying his best. But you know, he can't really he can't really do much. And and so how 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 the control is being driven, you know, might be a different answer. Yeah. Other other question thought. Yeah. Right. You're talking within Christian theology. Yes. Yes. Okay. So like in classical Christian theology, um, the Catholic view is that sex is for um, saying I belong to you, right? But it's also for procreation, which is why they're opposed to birth control, because procreation is part of the essential thing. In the Protestant view, we also understand that sex is about enjoyment, commitment, and procreation, okay? But, but um, what, what you see is common there, commitment is key, is key, right? The man will leave his father and mother and join to his wife, and they'll become one flesh. This, incidentally, is why I think Tim Keller's phrase he uses, which I think is helpful, is sex as covenant cement. Um, it's one thing to say it with your words. It's another thing in marriage to say it regularly with your body, sometimes even when you don't feel like it. And a lot of times in marriage, people feel like, well, we should only have sex if we really feel like it. But, you know, gosh, what kind of relationship do you have if you only say, you know, I belong to you, I'm committed to you, when you feel like it, right? And, and so it's important to say that. So, yeah, it's, it's part of your covenant bonding apparatus, biblically speaking. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, a lot of times people get asked questions about masturbation and whatnot, and, I, and they're like, well, it doesn't say you shouldn't in the Bible, but I think when you understand the purpose of sex, it has implications for that. It's, so whenever you're having sex, that, which is a life-uniting act, but that's not your purpose, you're trying to use it to say something else. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, that, you can't, that there's not forgiveness and healing and whatnot. It's always important to say that. But, but I would say that, that you know, you're running up against, banging up against what God says it's made for. And I would contend that you, you probably know that, feel that. Yeah. If yes, if you're not intending the life uniting purpose, right? Yeah, just like having children, but you don't care to be with the person, and you don't uh, enjoy it. I mean, Saint Augustine taught that sex was a necessary evil; it was sin to enjoy it, but it was necessary to you know procreate. That that's ridiculous, right? 
So even though he was a great man of God, that was that was clearly a silly thing. Um, yeah, no, you you should you should you know things work best when um, when when you know when you do the things the way God intended them. Now that doesn't doesn't mean you know well there's more I could say but I won't. All right, yes, we're going to have a whole nother week coming up where we'll talk more specifically just about about sex. Yeah, yeah. One more comment. One more thought. One more question. Yes. What do you do? Yeah. Well, I, I think n- you're talking about the enmeshed, frustrated, enmeshed, isolated relationship on the back page there. Yeah. So I think the first thing sometimes, because idols bind, they kind of bind us and they blind us, sometimes it's really hard to see that. So if you see it and you're like, oh, I think this is what's going on in my life, um, I might ask somebody outside of that relationship who trusts if they agree with you. Um, and then I would think in terms of how can I, like, here, here, I'll give you an example. I had a guy one time who told me he broke up with his girlfriend, and I said, why? He said, because she'd become an idol in my life. And I said, okay, what are you going to do when your wife becomes an idol? Because the Bible doesn't say that's a proper grounds for divorce. You need to find a better way of dealing with your idol than just, you know, cutting it out of your life. And I think what the Bible would say, well, I know what the Bible would say is that you need to restore the connection between God, the giver of good gifts, and receiving this thing as a gift. So if the problem with the relationship is the idol, in other words, looking to this person or this relationship to give you things that God must give you, um, you can either cut the person out, but that's pretty difficult to do, and chances are you'll probably just find another person. You can't really let go of your idol unless you have something more solid to, to, to sort of you know, rest in. And so I would say if you find yourself, for instance, in an enmeshed or in a frustrated relationship, right, because maybe you have, there's, that one goes two ways. So if, if you have hope for that one getting better, you have to repent, and the other person has to repent. It's not enough if this other person has the independent, you know, idol and you have dependence. So if you repent and now you, you know, kind of swing the way they did, then it just becomes a different idolatrous relationship. And a lot of relationships go that way, jumping from idol to idol. What needs to happen is for God's security, approval, the comfort that the gospel brings to begin to taste sweet and, and powerful to your heart to where you can speak honestly in places like, you know, I, I would say it this way, to be in a good relationship, you need to see someone's sin, not be blind to it, but you also need to be able to envision their glory. And you have to um, see yourself as part of the way God is going to help bring healing and you feel called to be part of that, right? Which is very different than saying, I want to find somebody that makes me feel X, it's more a sense of I feel called to be about the good work that God has promised to complete in this person, and therefore I'm not going to be satisfied with a relationship that's like this. Even if you get along, and like when we do premarital counseling, one of the things we have people do is sort of write out expectations they have for themselves, expectations they have for their partner, expectations they think their partner has for them, and sometimes they'll come in and their expectations are great. They both like, yeah, we agree with this and that. She expects this, and I, she expects me to you know, to worship her, and I expect that, and I know that going in, and I'm, I'm cool with that. It's like, no, you don't get to be cool with that. Um, I, you may have that expectation, but it's still wrong, um, and, you know, our ultimate sort of standard is what, what God has revealed in his word, and so um, you, you have to long for a relationship that's better than this, and um, 
then try to figure out what is it that's going to help you move there, right? And if, if independence is your idol, what is it that's making you so afraid, right? Um, we stay safe by staying free. Um, but there's something there that's not so, so good, so healthy, right? Now, it may be that this person is really untrustworthy. But see, honestly, everybody's untrustworthy. Here, here I'll, I'll close with this thing. Whenever I do weddings, I, right before we do the vows, I always say, look, you're going to take these vows either out of naivete or out of faith. Because how can you promise to love one another till death do you part for richer, for poorer, for sickness and health, and you don't know what tomorrow will bring, right? Only either by naivete, like, yeah, you know, and a lot of people feel like, you know, we dress all up in our best and we whip up our emotion so high that it'll sustain us through 30 years of life and we'll just keep thinking back to that day when we loved each other so much. And we'll watch the video and we'll look at the pictures and it'll stir us up again and we'll just keep going. No, it doesn't work. Marriage doesn't work that way. So what are you going to do? You either are going to be completely naive and, and, and ridiculous in your marriage when you take those vows or you're going to hear the Lord who makes vows to you. I don't know if your husband will cheat on you and leave you, but I know the Lord will never leave you or forsake you. And you take these vows knowing that whether my husband loves me or whether he doesn't, and I'll clue you in, he's not going to love you like he should. Okay? But in spite of that, God is going to love you through him loving you and even through him not loving you. And therefore, you can pledge yourself to another person because God has given you heart ballast and security that you'll never know from another person. See, I think so many people, I remember a guy one time, you know, the day before his wedding, he comes to me and says, Kevin, my dad asked me if I really, 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 really am sure she's the one. What do I, what do I say to that? I don't, I'm not, I don't know. I said, I don't think your dad is, has a clue why he got divorced. He thinks it's because he didn't make a right decision. And I know he agonized over it for years. But ultimately, he thinks the reason his marriage fell apart is because she wasn't really the right one. said, so that probably has nothing to do with it. The reason he got divorced had everything to do with the way he lived within that marriage. Right? But he had put all his hope, and now he was injecting this fear into his son, that you can basically guarantee a safe relationship where you won't be hurt if you just pick really well. Yikes. You, you can't pick well enough. You can't pick well enough. And you'll either run screaming and not want to be in any kind of relationship, or you'll enter into this relationship knowing that God can bring life even through brokenness. Listen, I, I believe so firmly that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And if I didn't believe that, I would never have married Wendy because I have to believe that God can use even my sin for her good because it's going to happen all the time. And I have to believe that God is bigger than even that. Or why would I want to be related to anybody and that's why I didn't get married till I was 33. I remember this counselor guy saying, why aren't you married? You're 33. And I was like, I'm just convinced I'm going to screw somebody up. He's like, yeah. You don't think God's bigger than that? Right? And I finally, finally said, okay, I'm going to take some <laughs> little steps toward that way. And the next thing I knew, I was pulled into something way bigger than me. But it's one of the ways that I taste God's goodness and love in, some, in so many ways, even though I'm not in control of it.
You know, imagine that. All right. 